In today's episode, we're talking about what it means to understand the backing of prophecy and how you can know what is a true prophet and a false prophet and accountability in them all and how that applies to you in your everyday life and how you can grow and learn the prophetic voice and the prophetic bent based off of the way that scripture is recorded in our understanding and relationship to it. So you're not going to want to miss this episode. Today on The Whole Person Mindset, we have Dr. Mark Rutland. He's a New York Times bestselling author. He's executive director of the National Institute of Christian Leadership, a founder of Global Servants, having served previously as the pastor of a megachurch and president of two Christian universities. Dr. Rutland and his wife, Allison, have been married and in ministry together for more than 50 years. They have three children and nine grandchildren through Global Servants servants, the Rutlands established the House of Grace in Thailand, and they protect tribal girls from sex trafficking. Since 1986, House of Grace has been saving little girls for big destinies. Its works in West Africa, largely in remote villages, has built churches and villages, hygiene services in over five countries. And so today on the show, I want to introduce my former president of Orapish University, Dr. Mark Rutland. Dr. Rutland, how are you today? I'm fine, Evan. Thank you. It's an honor to be on your program. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. You know, you've written a book here, and I'm really intrigued about it. And it's called Of Kings and Prophets. And that got me thinking in this process of, of wanting to interview you. You know, we see that there's in life, there's God's generic will for believers and then also God's specific will for individuals. And, you know, for believers, the generic will is, you know, to serve God, to love others, to be a witness, to serve your family and your community. But then when it comes to the specific will, a lot of people don't know or feel or understand their purpose in that and feel lost. So my question to you is for people who, who might not know what their purpose is individually outside of the generic mm-hmm. plan, what, what advice would you give someone on learning how to discover what that would be? Well, what I always tell young people, particularly I've spent my life around young adults and uh, I always say, spend more time knowing who God is and knowing, letting him know who you are. And gradually, you're, and maybe, maybe suddenly, but I just don't think you want to put God in that kind of box. But gradually, your uh, calling with specificity will arise out of relationship. So I think a lot of times young people get the cart before the horse. They start trying to determine their, quote unquote, their call or the specific uh, summons into some area of service, whatever, and they try to get that before they get the relationship with God developed. So, first of all, find out who God is. Spend time in His Word. Spend time in prayer with God, and and build the relationship. And gradually, uh, who you are will arise. The second thing I would say: this may be a little more. I guess that almost sounds like a platitude, and I don't mean it to. But um, there is this. Remember that what God calls you to today may not be a life context. Mm. I, I think that sometimes we're 
we, all of us are reluctant to say yes to God on situation A because we think it may mean A through Z. And it, and it may, but remember, God ha, it, the God who calls you to situation A also has the right and the authority to call you to situation B. Right. So, Spearfield folks particularly, I find, cling to the first thing they hear from God. But my, my uh, experience with God, my life walk, I'm 74 now. My life walk with God has been a journey, not a fixed not a fixed situation. Does that make any sense? You see what I'm saying? That I think if you embrace the journey, uh, following God gets more fun. Um, I think a lot of times people spend a huge amount of time trying to figure out what has God called me to and what he's called you to is obedience. And therefore, that obedience may mean moving from deep water to deeper water, higher mountain to higher mountain, greater challenge to greater challenge. And, and I, I think when you want to find that thing, this is the thing I'm going to do. I'm going to sit there um, trying to think of it. When I was uh, years ago, I grew up in a Methodist church, and we used to sing this hymn called Lead On, O King Eternal. I, I don't know if any of your listeners or viewers remember it, but it was, it was a great hymn of the church. Lead on, O King Eternal, henceforth in fields of conquest, thy tents shall be our home. So... When I moved further into the spirit-filled realm of things, Pentecostals and Charismatics, I found they weren't singing that hymn. They were singing, I shall not be moved. And so I found that sometimes spirit-filled people were better at holding on than they were at moving on. And, and I think that if, when you embrace the journey, it, it, gets, it gets funner. Right. Does that, does that make sense? No, it, it does. And then, you know, even going back to, you know, the obedience aspect and knowing God first, you know, I often ask God it in my life b- before I am where I am right now. I was like, well, why can't I just be the pastor now? Why can't I just do evangelism? Why can't I just have the office and the vocation? And, you know, as, as, as I've grown into maturity, had I had those things before, it could have also ruined me. Because I wasn't spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally, financially prepared to to live uh, out in the specific purpose versus learning how to learn how to have a relationship with God in a deeper, more intimate way to sustain. Like, to be honest, I mean, I had, I had to go through hell before I reached a place of um, exterior purpose and, and, and being used in that manner. I, I don't know if you remember this. Um, because you you meet with a lot of people, and so if you don't, then don't don't worry about it. It was my senior year, two thousand and ten, and it was towards the end of the year. And I met with you in the president's office. And, you know, I, I told you how I wanted to to become a pastor and to do you know ministry, and wanted your advice. And you told me this: life is like a kaleidoscope. As you're turning it, there's a lot of moving parts. You're going to be doing many different things. And you told me that each one of those pieces is like a new experience. And so you told me to go get experience. And then at the end of your life, when it's done, it will make this beautiful image. Mm. And so I just want to tell you, in my first four years after graduating, I had 21 different jobs. <laughs> I, think I, t- I took that way too literal. Not, not unintentional. It was a lot of part-time and temporary 
temporary jobs as I was trying to find my way. But I just wanted to, to tell you, I don't know, do you, by chance, do you remember that at all? <laughs> well, not specifically, but I do, I do think the, the advice is right. Here's, here's how I would say it. Your life makes more sense in the rearview mirror than it does out the windscreen. Right. And, and gradually the pieces come, you know, he makes all things come together, but you can't see it all at the moment that you're entering into it. You start into it and, and you, you just let God write your life in chapters. Yeah. And, and one of the reasons uh, I've seen, I've seen people that cling to the last chapter so tenaciously that they can't move on to the next chapter. I don't know, tw- 21 chapters in four years may be, a, may be a little bit aggressive, but, but I think the concept is right, that you want to be able to move on, keep, keep moving with God. I think my very first book, this is my 20th that you're going to talk to me about today, but, but my first book was called Launch Out Into the Deep. And, and it is a, a book about getting into the adventure with God. But there is no adventure if you're, if you're unwilling to move on and move forward. Right. That makes sense? Absolutely. And, and just not, now to give you context too, because now I'm like, wait a second, I just said I had 21 jobs in four years. He thinks I'm unstable now. <laughs> since then, I've, I've now been nine years in real estate and I've been doing podcasts going on about three years now. And so I've built some stability. That's it. <laughs> Obviously, that's good. No, I think uh, part of youth, part of youth is, uh, is, you know, moving on, a lot of changes, part-time jobs, you know, and gaining what I said to you that day in the office, gaining experience, letting the pieces kind of float around in the kaleidoscope for a while. It's all, that's all valuable. That was, it, it may not have been fun going through it, but that's valuable experience. There are things later on in your life and your leadership, even in your, even in your, uh, your company that you'll, you'll find some little piece back there 20 years ago, and you say, oh, I know how to do this. I learned that back there. And, and, but at the time, you may not have seen what a, what a valuable piece that was in the kaleidoscope. Makes sense. You know, so going more into your book, uh, the book that, again, you just wrote, it's Of Kings and Prophets. It's about understanding our role, both nat- the natural authority and also the spiritual power that, that we bring. And so I, I guess the question that I have for you is what, what does that look like in practical application for a believer today? Okay. Um, the reason I wrote this book is because there, is, there, is, um, there are equal and opposite errors with the issue of a prophetic voice. Okay. The one is false, false prophets. And I, I, we saw some of that in the last presidential election. Um, it's fine. It's fine to make a prediction. It's fine to say what you want to happen. You can even in, endorse somebody if you want to. I don't think it's wise, but you can do. But, Evan, when you tack on the words, thus saith the Lord. Right. Okay, okay. Now, that's a different place. Now you have to be held accountable because now you've made it a prophecy. Is that making sense? Mm-hmm. So then the opposite error is to say, I... I won't listen to anything that is prophetic. Uh, and I use prophetic uppercase and lowercase. So there's uppercase, capital P, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah. Okay, those are prophets. 
But I believe there are people who speak prophetically to a leader, a culture, a country, and to despise that, that prophetic voice um, can, can damage you personally, your church, your culture, your country. Take, for example, I'll give you a good example, the voice of uh, Martin Luther King. Dr. King had a prophetic voice to America at a time when it was bogged down in Jim Crow laws and segregation and all those horrible things. But I'm not saying Martin Luther King was a, is to be numbered among the prophets. I don't say Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Martin. Do you see what I'm saying? But he had a, prof, a decidedly prophetic voice. So they're equal and opposite errors. One is to use prophecy frivolously, um, which can lead you to a terrible sin. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, I was taught that thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, that that meant don't use the name of Jesus to cuss people out, which, by the way, in passing, I'm opposed to that, okay? But that doesn't have anything to do with that verse of Scripture. That verse of Scripture is about using the, the authority and power of God in order to, to enhance your own authority for vainglorious purposes, you see? So using, using thus saith the Lord to, to um, enhance the, the um, authority of what you're saying is a, is a very serious sin. And the, the church has to hold that accountable. But that's the reason the gifts of the Spirit should be manifested in the community of faith, is because it's our responsibility to discern, test the spirits, and, and hold people accountable. How do we do that, though? How do, we, how do we hold people accountable? Well, when somebody says, thus saith the Lord, somebody needs to record it. <laughs> you tweet that, take a, take a picture of that on your camera, take a, and hold it. And then when that doesn't come true, you have to say, okay, what meaneth this? Some people who did that, who made um, erroneous prophecies, they did. I will hand it to them. They came back and apologized. They owned it. They said, okay, I got excited. I missed God. I was wrong. And I'm going to learn from this. And I'm going to be more patient in the future and wait more and get more affirmation before I get out on a limb. Other people just tried to brush their tracks away. You know, they, they just backed into the cave with a piece of brush trying to back the, or, you know, they said uh, goofy stuff like, well, um, it's happened. I said this would happen. It didn't happen, but it happened in some spiritual domain, which in my sense only makes the sin of the false prophecy worse. Because now you've complicated it with all kinds of goofy spiritual language that doesn't make any sense. So we have to hold each other accountable. And, you know, people uh, use, Use the name of God, the word of God, frivolously. Maybe you've had it. Most people have had the experience. Somebody comes up to you and says, God told me to tell you. You know, I was going to say, wait a minute. Are you saying God spoke to you and told you to tell me this? Or are you saying, I had an impulse to tell you this? I'm willing to listen to your impulse. But if you're saying to me, God told you, to tell me this, then I'm coming back to you later and I'm going to hold you accountable for it. That, 
That's the kind of seriousness that has to get into the spirit-filled body of Christ. Yeah. I think, you know, as we're talking about this, I'm, I'm reminded of an incident when I was at ORU. I think I was like a freshman. And this goes back to spiritual maturity and, and not having developed enough of that. And I remember, you know, I was in a prayer group with some people and God told me to lay hands on a specific individual and that that person would be touched by the Holy Spirit and fall out. So I went over, that happened, and then I got super excited that it happened. And then I proceeded to go beyond him. Mm. And nothing happened with anyone else. And I remember hearing this later that night, that I prostituted the gift of the Holy Spirit. Mm. And the amount of grief I felt was really incredible. To move even further, I heard God say, and you will not have this gift for a long time. Mm. And, you know, so I went back to those people and I apologized and said, hey, I got carried away. This is what God told me to do. And then, like you said, I took it for vain uh, to, in a sense, glorify and elevate my own credibility. And in doing so, not only did I look really stupid, but I grieved the Holy Spirit. And on, the other, on the other side, then there is those who cannot hear, um, won't hear, resist what is obviously or what ought to be obviously a, a prophetic confrontation. So in the book, there's an account of uh, something that happened in 1785, May the 26th, 1785. Uh, George Washington wrote in his diary, last night at Mount Vernon, I entertained for dinner uh, um, a Methodist preacher named Francis Asbury and his associate, Thomas Koch. After dinner, they left. That's all he wrote in, in Washington's diary. But Francis Asbury wrote a different or a fuller account in his diary. Francis Asbury was the head of the Methodist church in the new country. And uh, John Wesley had sent this a Welch physician, Thomas Koch, to come over and assist him. So Asbury wrote in his diary, last night, we had dinner with General Washington at Mount Vernon. We pleaded with him to sign our petition denouncing slavery and to free his slaves, and he declined. Now, we'll never know because God doesn't deal with what ifs or might have beens. And look, I, I'm not one of those people that wants to diss the founding fathers. They were, they were great people. I'm not saying they weren't great. I'm also saying that, that they were flawed. But being flawed doesn't keep you from being great, and being great doesn't keep you from being flawed. So what if Washington had agreed? We'll never know, but what if he had signed the petition? What if he had freed his slaves? 315 of them, by the way. What if he had gone down the road to Thomas Jefferson's plantation and said, hey, Tom, Let's do this. Free your slaves. Let's sign this petition. What if they had made the outlawing of slavery the 11th Amendment to the Constitution? The Bill of Rights is the, is the first 10 amendments. What if the 11th Amendment had been ending slavery? We'll never know. But maybe less than 100 years later, hundreds of thousands, 700,000 plus 
American boys wouldn't have died on battlefields like Gettysburg and Antietam if Washington had heard the prophetic voice that was at his dinner table. Yeah. So we, we have to be sensitive to that prophetic voice. But as you said in your own personal example, we can't go behind, can't go beyond. You don't need to add anything. Don't try to tidy it up. Don't make it sound more spiritual. That right. you just modestly, humbly say, and you can, you can even say, as far as I can hear from God, as far as I can hear, this is what I feel the Lord is saying to me. But when you, when you stand up and you say, thus saith the Lord, then the body of Christ should hold you accountable. So going back towards the, the prophetic voice, there's a lot of Christians that I've talked to, whether evangelical, Methodist, Lutheran, like all, a lot of people say, you know, I, I've never heard from God. He doesn't, he doesn't speak to me. Mm-hmm. And so for them, for the person that's like, well, I don't hear God talking to me in a prophetic way to talk to other people. So how, how do we make this applicable for them so that either A, they can hear God's voice more distinctly or that God can even uh, uh, use them on such a behalf, either by being the voice or they're the person receiving and know that it's God speaking to them? Well, in the first place, God speaks to us through his, through his word, through the Bible. So anybody who says, I've never heard from God, I would say to you, have you ever read the Bible? Right. Because if you've read the Bible, God is speaking to you. So suppose your friend uh, comes, one's friend comes and says, I'm considering doing this and this and this. And your, your scriptural uh, bank inside of you says, that's a mistake. He doesn't need to do this, needs to do that. All right. At that moment, you are actually in a prophetic encounter, but you wrap yourself in the biblical flag. Instead of trying to act all spiritual, oh, thus saith the Lord. What you say is, my experience with scripture shows me that you may be about to make a mistake. Let me show you something from God's word. You are in, you are in a prophetic encounter, but you don't have to make it, you don't have to make it look prophetic for it to be. If that person hears a word which keeps them back from the abyss, keeps them back from making some kind of terrible mistake, and they hear that from God's word through you in terms of you, in that sense, you are at a low altitude involved in prophetic ministry. Now, those who hear and speak prophetically at a high altitude and high velocity like uh, the example I used of Francis Asbury, I'm not saying Francis Asbury should be numbered among the prophets. You know, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, <laughs> Ezekiel, Isaiah, and, and Francis. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying in that moment, that was a high altitude, high risk prophetic moment. He was speaking prophetically, not just to George Washington, but to the future of the country and the culture. And, and ignoring that, is a dang, that's a dangerous situation. Not everybody's going to get that. And I would say this to you, Evan, I'm not, I'm not sure everybody ought to even desire that. Um, here, here's a phrase that is used uh, so much in American culture. It's come, because it's come to mean everything, it means nothing. And that <laughs> phrase 
is, is speaking truth to power. Okay. So some uh, nitwit movie star gets up at the Academy Awards and makes some cockamamie political statement. And she prides herself that she was speaking truth to power when actually there was no risk at all involved. She was only saying what she knew everybody in the auditorium is going to applaud. She was enhancing her, her reputation with her tribe. She wasn't speaking truth to power. You want to understand speaking truth to power, you study the prophets. They were speaking to kings who had unlimited power. There was no Supreme Court. There was no Congress that was going to hold the king accountable. The law was embodied in them personally. So take John the Baptist confronting Herod about his immoral and incestuous marriage to his own sister-in-law. If you remember, Herod took Herodias, Philip, his brother Philip's wife, and John the Baptist announced that. He said, you ought not to, you ought not to be married to your sister-in-law. You shouldn't have this. And Herod put him in prison. And then Herodias, the wife, got her daughter Salome to do this at Herod's party, to do this lascivious and erotic dance that inflamed the old man's lust so that he would offer her a, a gift, whatever she wanted. And she had been propped up by her mother to ask for the head of John the Baptist on a plate. I mean, isn't this a nice family? So you have, this man is married to his sister-in-law who's lusting for his daughter, his stepdaughter, who also happens to be his niece, so that he can get the head of a prophet, a true prophet. So when John the Baptist was decapitated, it was, it was because he spoke truth to power. So, so speaking truth to power is not some casual chest thumping in order to enhance our own virtue signaling with our crowd. Speaking truth to power is high-risk prophetic ministry. Yeah. So for the individual who isn't, like you said, at that altitude and feels like they have a word from God for someone. I know I've also been in the situation where I've been on the opposite. Instead of, instead of prostituting the gift, I've denied the gift mm -hmm. and opportunity because of fear, because mm -hmm. uh, of judgment, because I don't know if I'm hearing God. And, and there's this ploy in me like, all right, you know, I've, I know I've done it one way really poorly. So how, how do I know I'm doing it, how this is, should be God now? Yeah, well, you, you've stumbled onto one of the great truths of the universe, which is that balance is the hardest thing in the world for the human mentality. Right. So we always want to veer the ship over onto one set of rocks or the other. So here's what I would say. The, the safeguard for that kind of thing is humility. So let's do it. Let's do a down-to-earth practical application. Okay. Right? So let's suppose that your friend comes to you and says, I'm having an affair with my secretary, and I know God doesn't want me to be unhappy. So I'm unhappy with my wife. I'm going to divorce her and marry the secretary, and I know it's God's will because God wants me to be happy. Okay. You can say, one could say, all right, I'm going to speak to you, and I'm going to tell you what everything I've learned from the Bible, from life, and all that I know about God. I'm not claiming to be Jeremiah here, but I'm going to tell you what I, what I have experienced. 
And that is this. God does not necessarily want us to be happy. He wants us to be holy. And this is an unholy action you're about to take. I love you, and you're still my friend. But you're about to take an unholy action. You're going to sin against your wife and your children and go into another marriage based on adultery and sin. And you're about, you're about to make mistakes in this whole thing. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not Jeremiah, but I'm telling you everything I know about God and about the word tells me this is a terrible mistake and you'll regret it. Now, you haven't claimed to be something. You've approached it modestly and humbly, but you've spoken with the authority backed up with scripture. Is this, it, do you see the point I'm making? That's how you enter into it. Then if, then if you're wrong, you say, well, okay, I, I told you I was giving you the best understanding I have at this time in my life. But if, if you try to make that all sound all spiritual, oh, thus saith the Lord, now you're going the other way. You're trying to make it. Yeah. I'll give you a good example from scripture. It's in my book, actually. It's a story of a false prophet named Zedekiah. It's a fascinating little story. Most people don't even know it because it's kind of buried in the kings. So Zedekiah, this false prophet, not to be confused with the king Zedekiah. So uh, Jehoshaphat, the good king of Judah, and Ahab, the wicked king of, of Israel, are about to form an alliance politically and militarily, which Jehoshaphat never should have done. Be careful who you, with whom you form a, a partnership. But they're about to go to battle against a foreign army, and Jehoshaphat, the good king, says, why, why don't we check with the prophets? Ahab has all these false prophets, and he brings them in, and they all say, oh, you're going to win. Go out. You're going to overcome. And this one false prophet, Zedekiah, in order to dramatize, you see what I'm talking about, make his prophecy seem more authoritative, he takes iron and fashions a set of horns, like bull's horns. And he puts them up to his head, and he says, you'll go out like a bull against the enemy. Okay? Jehoshaphat, the good king, evidently feels something spooky about it. And he says, are there any other prophets? Ahab says, okay, there's this other guy named Micaiah. He said, I hate this guy. He never prophesies good for me. So they bring Micaiah in, and Micaiah begins to mock them all. They say, all these prophets say we're going to win. And Micaiah says, oh, yeah, you're going to win. Go, go, go. You're certainly going to win. And Ahab, this evil king, says an astonishing thing. Listen to this. He says, I, how many times have I told you, only tell me what God says to tell me? Micaiah says, the true prophet, he says, you want to know what God says? You're not going to win. You're not only going to lose, you're going to be killed. You're going to die a bloody death on this battlefield. And Ahab, the king, says, when I come back, I'm going to put you in prison. Now listen to what Micaiah answers. If you come back at all, I'm a false prophet. So true prophets who speak in the unalloyed authority of God expect to be held accountable for their words. False prophets prophesy what they want to see happen or what they think leadership wants to happen. They cannot speak truth to power. True prophets speak truth to power and are willing to be held accountable to what they say. 
So how do people develop this gift? Well, the, the number one way, I, I know that sounds like a Johnny One note, but the number one way is stay in your Bible. God will never give you any kind of, even the smallest, most tiny message in the He'll never give you any message to carry to anyone else that contradicts the whole counsel of God. Right. So stay in your Bible. Most of the time, people who have spoken the most meaningfully into my life prophetically didn't even know they were doing it at the time. I just, I heard it and I said, whoa. But they were, they were not self-conscious about it. They were giving me what they thought was biblical spiritual counsel. But it had an added weight to it, Evan. It, had a, it hit me. I said, wow, that, that is exactly what I needed to hear. So lowercase prophetic. There's prophets, uppercase, Jeremiah. There's lowercase prophetic voices. And sometimes they are not often they are not self-conscious. They are draped in humility. And, and sometimes I've had people say things to me that changed my life. And I said, wow, that's profound. And they said, it was? <laughs> so to me, it speaks of a level of humility and grace. When we deal with prophetic words outside of scripture, so for example, this uh, summer, I was in Washington, D.C. doing some ministry with who, who is now more of a friend of mine, but was more of a new acquaintance at the time, Philip Renner. I don't know if you know, it's Rick Renner's son. Oh yeah, I know Rick. Okay. Um, Philip is his son and we're doing ministry. And, uh, you know, one of the things that when we were there, he looked at me, he, he gave me a prophetic word and he says, Hey, I feel like God's telling me to tell you, you're going to have a girl. We just had our third child, a boy. My wife is done. She's like, we're not having a, another kid. What was so unique about that moment with him, he didn't know this, but my heart was hurting in, in a good way. His, his daughter was there with him also doing ministry. And to just see that was so beautiful. And we had lost a daughter, our first child. Mm. was a premature stillborn. Uh, he didn't know any of this. Mm. His daughter was just she's so, so lovely, so pure, innocent. And just like, I felt like I was robbed uh, of what I was seeing. Mm. And, and it's not like they were hurting my feelings, but the loss was amplified in my heart during that week. And it mm painful. And he comes up and says, you're going to have a daughter, but I already know my wife's done. So that whole week I'm just praying like, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know. Then two weeks later, my wife's pregnant wow. <laughs> with our fourth. We just had a gender uh, reveal last week, found out it's a girl. Wow. And so we still have time until the, until the baby's born and we're believing continued health and everything for, for our daughter. But this prophetic word was outside of scripture. Outside, well, it, uh, well, it wasn't. I mean, it wasn't outside of scripture. Uh, if you, that's a very, actually a very common scriptural model. Uh, over and over again, people prophesied about coming pregnancies and, and coming babies. Um, and so... 
he was operating consistently with scripture. There was nothing non-scriptural about that. Correct. And, and it was personal. It's a, that's what you call a personal prophecy. Right. It was nothing non-scriptural right. about it. Now, now here's the issue. And that's great. And it worked. It's so wonderful. Now what I would do, if that, if that young man spoke to me again prophetically, I would, I would pay attention now. He's, he's, got some, he's got some traction with me now, right? However, let's suppose you had, you had had a baby and it, or your wife had had a baby and it turned out to be a boy. Okay, now I would say, I don't want a prophet that gets things half right. So now I, now I hold him accountable and I back away from that. So there was nothing unscriptural beyond what he said, about what he said, and he was right. There was no way, he wasn't guessing. You don't just guess out of the blue. So I, th- I think that's a perfectly valid example of personal prophecy that was consistent with Scripture and turned out to be entirely correct. You got me puzzled here for a second. <laughs> you're, you're right. I do see where it is consistent with Scripture because it has happened. Sure. Um, I, I guess what I was trying to say is that uh, when, it, when it comes to personal prophecy, um, and not like, hey, biblically, the answer is this. Mm. Does that make sense? Like, oh, I see. Not like that's not biblical counsel, right? Like, I, I got like, you. So for your first example is like, well, obviously, the Bible talks about not cheating on your spouse. Right. Like, like that can be viewed, but there's nothing in the Bible that says Evan Herman is going to have a daughter, and I'm telling you that. That that's what I meant. Then that okay. Then that's what we call personal prophecy. So it's now, it's now not a, a logos, a general word to you. Now it's a rhema. It's a personal, specific word to you. And, and that's what I'm saying. Then, and that is scriptural. That is done in scripture, okay? Uh, there are people in the New Testament and in the Old Testament that gave specific, personal words of prophecy. Um, Agabus said to Paul the apostle, if you go to Jerusalem, you will be arrested and handed over to the Gentiles. That's going to happen. Okay. That's a personal prophecy. It was right. It turned out. It's validated. It did happen, right? Then there, are, then there is Zedekiah that I just gave you. His was a personal prophecy. You are going to win this battle. He didn't. He had to be held accountable. Now, he, now he's a false prophet. So all I'm saying is you want to watch for things that are contrary to Scripture, particularly, but having a baby and having a girl— Neither of those are contrary to scripture, right. but they are personal and they're in line with the way God has done things in the past. He has given personal prophecies about babies, coming babies, and even their gender, by the way. So that's in, in line with that. And now it's come true. I'm still not saying that, that your friend should be called a prophet. What I'm saying is right. the, next, the next time he gave me a personal word, I would, I would be a little more willing to hear, even still going slow. Even the fact he got it heard from God and got it right the last time, I'm not, I'm not buying stocks based on, on a personal prophecy. Right. Absolutely. So, you know, when, when I think of, I know Joseph wasn't a specific prophet, um, but he very much had a prophetic bent. And when we look at... Who, who, who did you say, Joseph? Joseph. In, uh, well, there are two Josephs, Old Testament Sorry, and New Testament. Old Testament. Well, Joseph was a prophet. 
by all means. The Old Testament prophet, Joseph was a prophet, by all means. Okay. And, and he, he spoke prophetically in, in multiple times. So, so, yes, Joseph is numbered among the prophets. Okay. Absolutely. So when I, when I look at Joseph and I look at his life and, you know, he was favored amongst his father, hated by his brothers, got sold into slavery, thrown into prison, left forgotten about, uh, gave the interpretation of the dreams, then forgot again, and then went from prison to standing next to Pharaoh. Right. And, you know, in life, you know, to be, I guess, more vulnerable here, like, I f- not that I feel like I'm Joseph by any means, but I feel like God's calling and influence in leadership, and I think other people might feel this way, is more than where I'm currently at. Mm. And when I look at Joseph, it's like, you know, God can switch it just like that, go from prison to second in command. There's no limitation with that. But in the process, it's very easy to get discouraged it's very easy to feel like, oh, maybe I just missed it. And this is not a part of what God has called me to. How do we wrestle with, I feel like my purpose is this, but it looks like the furthest thing from it right now. Yeah. yeah. You, you think you could get discouraged in that process? You think? Oh, uh, yeah. Re- remember, the, the moment you're calling that is that moment when Joseph is brought out of prison to the palace. But look at the process that went into that. Uh, 20 years of a process of getting further and further and further away from the promise. Right. Every, everything that happened to Joseph made the likelihood of that being fulfilled less likely until it happened. So it, the promise is over here. Joseph goes this way, this way, this way, this way until he lands here. And And so what I would say is what I was trying to say earlier, when I talk to young people in particular, I I would say the promise delayed is not necessarily the promise denied. Just wait. Embrace the process. You're a youth pastor at some uh, church in a double-wide in Dubuque, (laughs) and you keep thinking, God has called me to be a lead pastor embrace that youth pastor role, do it well, do it with anointing, seek God, give it everything you've got, and don't try to make that prophecy or that promise, that vision that God has given you, don't try to make that happen, make this happen. That's, when I was a president at two different universities, I used to say to kids all the time, they would say, I feel like God has called me to be a, 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 a minister of a of a megachurch, what should I do right now? I'd say pass algebra. Right. <laughs> what am I supposed to do now? Your homework. You know, get a good night's sleep. <laughs> live, live this life right now. Joseph was faithful in Potiphar's house. He was faithful in prison, and he was given the palace. Be faithful where you are. Just do the job God gives you now and let him take care of that, getting you to that future destiny. Let God do that. Dr. Rollin, thank you so much for coming on today. Before we go, is there anything else about the book that that you want to mention or share? Well, uh, this is the book uh, of Kings and Prophets. I hope that your 
listeners will get it. You can get it on drmarkrutland.com. You can also get it in all the places where you buy books. It's uh, taken off, and we're very happy with the sales. And thank you very much for having me on, and God bless you in all that you do. Thank you so much for coming on. Have a great day.